This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. We will begin verse 11 of chapter 8. It's following the feeding of the 4,000. Mark 8, beginning with verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. And getting into the boat again, he went across to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It is because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves of the, for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. Then he said to them, do you not yet understand. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we really don't understand unless you give the illumination in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. But we would ask that we would so hear and receive and believe that we may go forth today in victory through faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1984, a retired preacher gave to Jim, and therefore to me, an all-expense-paid trip to the Holy Land. It was his conviction that if you allowed a young pastor-preacher to experience the Holy Land early in the ministry, it would have a profound effect upon every congregation thereafter. Jim was an associate pastor at First Presbyterian, one block distance from the Alamo, and we had a two-year-old son. My job was to pack 
and to go pick up my mother who was caring for our son and to drive downtown to get Jim after a full day of work. Together we went east on I-10 to Houston to spend the night with a friend before departing for JFK and on to Tel Aviv the next day. Over breakfast, Jim asked me for the passports. The passports. Was I responsible for the passports? I didn't know that. I thought that you were responsible. No, you packed. You were responsible for the passports. Well, this is way before cell phones, so we called using the house phone of our friend to our home. My mother was out walking our home. My mother was out walking our son. So he called a church member in San Antonio. She raced to our house. I do not know to this day how she got in. She got the passports from the roll-top desk, raced to the airport, went to the TWA counter. The agent walked them down to the gate as the flight attendant was boarding for the one flight to JFK that day. In the meantime, I got to experience what discomfort is like. Now, how do you spell uncomfortable? J-I-M. <laughs> I was sitting next to him. The whole flight from Houston to New York, and he was sweating bullets, staring at me, glowering, glowering and just, just angry. His, his way of life, he learned from his family, is that if you are responsible and feel responsible, you should worry. It somehow shows that you take ownership. If you don't worry, you're not taking responsibility. He was very mad at me that I wasn't taking responsibility because I had, you know, what else can you do? You pray, you say, Lord, we'd like to go to, to uh, Israel, but what else do you do? But I wasn't worried enough. So we landed in New York, we stepped off the plane, the flight attendant from San Antonio handed us our passports. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, the disciples are worried. In verses 13 and 14, we see that Jesus quickly departs after, I would just say, uh, he's, a little, he's a little upset with the Pharisees. Uh, he's, he's a little upset. With the Pharisees, he quickly departs onto the boat. The disciples get on. They are in the Sea of Galilee, and they go, who forgot the food? They began to quarrel among themselves about whose responsibility it was. There was only one old piece of bread left from a previous trip. It would be like getting to a trailhead in a remote part of the main country and you have backpacks ready for your trip and realize no one was assigned to bring the food. Digging in your pockets, you find a small bag of trail mix and you just shake your head. That is not enough to take care of the needs of a group. So the disciples feel a sense of alarm. They're afraid, they're worried about you. But I sense a lot of worry in the environment. There's a lot of fear going on. The World Health Organization says the global risk of the spread of the coronavirus is very high. 
Are you worried? Are you afraid? Global stock markets lost trillions of dollars this past week. Retirement accounts shrank. Are you worried? Are you afraid? What keeps you up at night? Does your mind scroll through the things that can go wrong or the things that have already gone wrong? Are you worried or afraid? The disciples forgot to bring any bread. Substantive, elemental, necessary. They are necessary. They are worried and afraid. But look at how Jesus begins the conversation with them. He begins with a warning. Verse 15. He cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. That word cautioned does not give to us the sense that it does in the original. He charged them. He ordered them like a captain orders subordinates aboard a naval ship. He orders them, watch out, beware. Keep your eyes wide open to the danger before you. Steer clear. Well, what, what danger? What danger do they face? The yeast of the Pharisee and of Herod. Yeast is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for how a small amount can influence a larger amount. So yeast causes an entire loaf to rise. A small amount influences a greater amount. What influence then are we charged to avoid? Are you ready? Jesus is saying the dangerous influence of the Pharisees is the demand for a sign. Jesus has performed miracle after miracle from the beginning of Mark. We have in the 8th chapter the feeding of the 4,000 from seven loaves of bread. But the Pharisees view Jesus with suspicion. What if his power is a trick? Or worse, what if it's from the devil? In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 13 and 18, God warns his people to not follow a false prophet. Were the Pharisees being religiously cautious? Verse 11 shows otherwise. They are against Jesus from the get-go. The Pharisees are like many today. They are not testing Jesus in order to discover him. They are testing him in order to discredit him. Repeat. They are not seeking to discover, but to discredit. They've made up um, their minds. So they demand a sign. And if Jesus is who he says he is, they require him to prove it to them. They want irrefutable evidence. They want to have a compulsory faith. Do you, do you catch the irony in that? Compulsory faith? 
verse 12, we see Jesus refuses. He gives no sign. Why? Because faith that demands proof is not faith. Faith that demands proof is veiled doubt. Imagine, imagine a husband who is suspicious of his wife's faithfulness. In order to prove to the husband his wife's faithfulness, he hires a detective to spy on her while he is away. Her while he is away. Whatever proofs the spy provides the husband will in no way guarantee that the husband will have faith in his wife. Do you see? In the same way, whatever sign Jesus might have given the Pharisees would in no way guarantee that they had faith in him. Let me illustrate with an old movie, Bruce Almighty. Bruce, played by Jim Carrey, is a reporter. He loses his job after making a fool of himself on national television. He suffers a street fight, followed by an emotional blow-up with his girlfriend, Grace, played by Jennifer Aniston. Bruce's world is falling apart. He gets into his car to clear his head, and he pleads with God for a real conversation. Okay, God, he says, you want me to talk to you? Then talk back. Tell me what's going on. What should I do? Give me a signal. As he says this, a glowing road construction sign flashes in front of him. Caution ahead. Caution ahead. But Bruce doesn't notice. I need your guidance, he begs. Please send me a sign. Immediately, a truck pulls in front of him, full of signs, like stop, dead end, wrong way, do not enter. But Bruce is oblivious. He recklessly swerves around the truck and grumbles, Lord, I need a miracle. He loses control of his car, spins off the road, rams into a lamppost. Jumping out of his car, Bruce rages at God. Fine. Gloves off. Come on, smite me, almighty smiter. You're the only one around here. Not doing his job is you. Answer me. With precise timing, Bruce's beeper goes off. He pulls it off. God is paging him. Bruce looks at the number and says, Sorry, don't know you. Wouldn't call you if I did. Puts it back. Now, do you see how signs do not ensure a relationship with God. Bruce is so wrapped up in his own demands, he cannot see or hear how God is answering him all along. The disciples are so worried, wrapped up in their fear, that they miss Jesus' warning about the yeast of the Pharisees. They hear the word yeast, and it makes them think of bread, which makes them anxious about their unmet needs. Verse 16, they said to one another, it's because we have no bread. Jesus has provided for 4,000 the day before. But that was so yesterday. What about today? What would they do today with only one loaf of bread? Now, do you see how blind 
the disciples were. To who was in the boat with them. Are we as blind today? We had worry, a warning. Now Jesus reprimands his disciples. Verses 17 and 18. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see and ears and fail to ears and fail to hear? Et tu, Brute? The words famously written by Shakespeare in the mouth of Julius Caesar when Caesar sees Brutus among his assassins. And you, Brutus? Jesus looks around at his disciples. His gaze pierces their eyes. He looks at us today. At two? Is there no believer in the boat? Does no one understand who Jesus is? If you go up into the rafters of this church, you will find that the shipbuilders who erected it built it in the style of an upside-down ship that looks like a hull. And it is representing a boat. Three centuries of Christian art represent the church as being a boat afloat in the sea with disciples and Jesus in the middle. Do you see and understand? Jesus is in this boat. One loaf is not the problem. Unbelief is the problem. Jesus reprimands the disciples for seeing and hearing but not believing. Belief comes from understanding what you see and what you hear. What the senses reveal, you think about, understand, and you apply it to faith. Let me illustrate. December 26, 2004 was the third largest earthquake in history. It registered 9.1 on the Richter scale. It happened in the Indian Ocean. The shock waves, the shock waves produced waves that were uh, five, were they 500? No, they were 100 feet high. And they traveled 500 miles an hour. The deadliest tsunami in history. Yet. One people group right in its path had no fatalities, no casualties. They were all spared. Who were they? They were the Moken people, an ethnic group who are sea gypsies. They live in boats. They're sea gypsies. Moken children learn how to swim before they walk. They can hold their breath better than anyone. They see twice as far underwater as anyone the Moken know how to see and understand the sea as if they were reading street signs. And the day of the earthquake, the sea started to recede, and the Moken knew what seed and the Moken knew what was happening. They heard the birds stop chirping. They noticed the dolphin swimming away. They heard the cicadas stop their sound. The Burmese fishermen paid no attention. They went about their fishing. They were destroyed by the tsunami. 
as one Mokin described it. They didn't know how to look. The waves and birds, cicadas and dolphins were speaking, but the fishermen didn't know how to listen. Do you listen to Jesus and then understand the meaning of his presence with you? God is able. He's able to save. Et tu, Brute? Finally, following a reprimand, good news for us today. The heart of the Christian faith is not philosophy or a system of morality. It's good news. The antidote to unbelief is to remember. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember what he's done for the church. Remember what he's done in the mighty deeds recorded in scripture. What he's done in church history. Jesus asked his disciples to remember. Verses 19 through 21. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? Twelve, they said. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of the broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, seven. He said, do you not yet understand? What has Jesus done for you? For you. What has he done for others? Remember, understand who is in the boat. Fred Rogers was asked to address the prestigious National Press Club in Washington, D.C. He began by taking out his pocket watch and announcing that he would conduct two minutes of silence. He instructed the group to remember people from their past, parents, coaches, friends, mentors, and so forth, who had made their success possible. Then he simply stood in silence. Looking at his watch, the silence must have seemed like an eternity. But for the end, as it came, one reporter noticed the sounds of people sniffling, weeping softly, as they remembered those who had loved them, had loved them, made sacrifices for them, and given them gifts. The past was brought into the presence with compelling power. Are you worried this morning? Bring it to Jesus. Beware of the danger, Jesus warns, of unbelief. He reprimands us if we fail to understand what we have seen and heard. He asks us to remember who is in the boat. As we come to the table this morning, we will be asked to remember and to live as those who know the security of the one who's with us now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the opportunity to reassess so that we can remember, be saved, and live with the confidence of your provision and purpose for the rest of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.